Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's reading is Mark 4, 35 to 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Amen. Thank you, Noel. Um, before I begin, just want to make two more quick announcements. One, we talked about, uh, I think a week or two ago, about how Amanda Evan, uh, Amanda Edmonds, who um, has been part of our uh, extended Redeemer community for decades and our acute one here at Redeemer Lincoln Square, she has gone to be with the Lord. And um, we didn't have specific details, but now we do. Uh, the funeral will be on January 20th at 12 p.m. at West 83rd Street, if you would like to participate in that. The second quick announcement is Jenny Owens, who is our uh, assistant director of worship, as well as our singer this morning, and some of the songs that we sang. She actually graduated uh, this past weekend from... Um, now you, you did start clapping before what I said she graduated from from dog training school. No, um, she, she graduated from uh, Reformed Theological Seminary with a master's in biblical studies, and it's a big, big deal. And I would really appreciate uh, Jenny for being part of our community and all she's given, so thumbs and praise. Okay. We started a series last week looking at questions that Jesus asked. And we started this series because we want to be a church that asks good questions. I believe it's a skill. It's something that's going to take time to learn. It's a lifestyle. Uh, in the first season of Ted Lasso, the main scene in that whole season was Ted Lasso talking about being curious, as opposed to those who undermined him, who uh, did not actually know what it was like to ask questions to understand humanity. I would argue being curious, asking good questions, is part of what it means to be human because it turns us away from the natural disposition to look inward and to look outward. That's how we learn. It's how we grow. It's why we do after our services Q&R, question response, where right now online, in, per, in person, you can text in questions and we will talk about them for about 10 or 15 minutes after the service because we're trying to develop that posture. Now, if you're wondering, you're saying, okay, that's a nice idea. I like that philosophy, I like that thought in general, but why are we going to a document 2,000 years old? 
how do we know it's true? How do we know they're real? How do we know it's not all just made up back then? Those are good questions. Because people have been wondering, oh, these could be just myths, they could be just legends. Well, in today's particular passage, it's helpful because if you look at page, uh, verse 36, it talks about how Jesus, in verse 36, said there were other boats with him. And then verse 38, that he was sitting on a cushion. Now you say, what, is, what are other boats with him and what do cushions have to do with? Myths and le legends, the genre of, of those types of literature only have descriptions that forward the conversation. So the fact that we have these sort of superfluous details show us that they're not in that genre. This is being written, the Gospels are written as eyewitness accounts. And the reason why that matters is because, well, first of all, you always push, I always push back, like, well, okay, it's written eyewitness accounts, but maybe they're lying, maybe they made them up. But the problem with that is that that kind of writing style wasn't invented yet 2,000 years ago. C.S. Lewis, who was a professor of ancient literature, has the money quote about this. This is what he says. He says, I've been reading legends and myths my whole life. And I know none of them like this. Either this is reportage or else some unknown writer whose known predecessors or success, without any predecessors or successors, suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern, novelistic, realistic narrative. And the reason why that matters is, okay, it was written eyewitness accounts, and it was written during times when people could have verified the accounts being written about. In other words, today we're looking at this text not because we want to believe that they're true. We're looking at them because all the evidence says it's more likely that they're true than not. And they're giving us answers to questions. There's so many questions in our text today. Now today I want to look at just two answers. Two answers given us. One, something about the nature of faith. And two, something about the storms of life. Let's look at the nature of faith and then the, the, the real storms of life that could sink you. Two points. Number one, the nature of faith. Our text takes place uh, in the Sea of Galilee at nighttime. The Sea of Galilee, just geographically, was about 700 feet below sea level. There was lots of mountain ranges kind of in the area around it, and so it created this effect, this vortex-like effect that often storms would suddenly show up out of nowhere. And yet we need to remember that the people Jesus was with were fishermen. These were people, hardened sailors, who grew up on this body of water. They had seen so many storms in their life on this very body of water, and yet it says in this text that they're scared. So this means this was not your average storm. This means that the danger was very real. They were not overreacting. The past couple of months, I've been able to watch a lot more soccer because of the World Cup and, and the Premier League that's on television often. And sometimes in real time, you'll see a foul and you go, ooh, and, and it looks like it's really bad. But then when the show kind of plays it back in slow motion, you realize that the person must have gone to acting school because the littlest touch, they just go flying over. Right? There's an overreaction, sort of what happened when Newcastle uh, took Arsenal on a couple weeks ago and they just they, they, you know, went all over the place and went, oh, I'm so hurting. Anyway, I digress. Um, my point is this. It's possible to see something in real time, it looks bad, but then when you start playing it back, you, you realize it's not, it's not as bad as you thought. That's not what's happening here. This is bad. They were afraid. This was a real danger. 
And it elicited fear, it says. And I googled, you know, there's so many different definitions of fear. I googled one, this definition. Fear is an automatic response emotionally and bodily to a threat. I'll say it again. Fear is an emotional and bodily reaction to a, a threat, something that you can't deal with in the moment. Now, most of us are never going to be in uh, a boat situation like this, but I would argue a lot of us have real fears too. And so I want us to ask this morning, what are we afraid of? What are the storms of our life? Some of you have had storms come on you suddenly, like this, and it's in a moment. It's, it's an illness. It's a, an acute issue that rises out of nowhere, it looks like. Some of us have been in storms for a very long time, years, hurricanes that have not stopped. Maybe our storms are that we worry that we're not going to be provided for, maybe materially, maybe emotionally, maybe re relationally, that we, we, we're worried, we're afraid of not having enough. Personally, I was thinking about this this past week, I was like, well, what am I really afraid of? What? Where are my issues? Where are my issues? I have lots of them. But where, I mean, let me name one. And I, I came up with this one. I'm, I'm afraid. I'm in, I have a fear of being found out. That, uh, it's funny. If, if, if you come to me with a voice like Michael, I go, okay, what do I do? What do what, what, what I do now? And there's this, this conscientiousness about this that I, I'm worried that people one day will realize I'm not as great as I think that they think of me. And then I won't be able to control that. Now, luckily, my wife's very helpful here. She goes, don't worry, Mike. She's like, people don't think of you less because they're just not thinking about you as much as you say you think of. And I'm like, that's not helping. It's not helping because why? Fear, you can't just, you can't think yourself out of fear. It's that, it's that emotional bodily response to a threat. Now, what's the threat, right? Well, there's a threat to something that we think we have to have. And this is important because there's a fear, but there's always a fear beneath the fear. See, the fear of being found out is because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm afraid, my, my, the fear beneath it is that I'll be alone, that I won't have the approval, I won't have the, the, the needs that I think I need. Right? Beneath the fear of, of monetary provision, beneath the fear of relational people in my life that I'm worried that I won't have, beneath that fear is a fear of comfort or a fear of approval. There's always a fear beneath the fear. And I want to know what that fear is for you. You have your fears, but what's the fear beneath it? What is the comfort, control, power, approval? What is that? The Bible would say, underneath all fears, ultimately, is the fear of loneliness and abandonment and separation. And I can prove that to you, by the way. Play out your worst-case scenario of your fears. And your worst-case scenarios always end with abandonment, loneliness, and forgottenness, right? At the end of the day, the fear of why, why do I, why am I afraid of being found out? Because I want approval. Why do I want approval? Because at the end of the day, I want to know that I'm accepted and loved. Why do I want that? Because I'm afraid of abandonment and loneliness and forgottenness. So go back to our text. What are they afraid of? Well, on the surface, they're afraid of the storm. But I would argue that the storm is just the surface. There's a fear beneath their fear, and I think it shows up. When they wake Jesus up, they say to him, in verse 38, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And that's it. That their fear of the storm really reveals the deeper fear. The word for drown here is the, is the Greek word perish. And so the storm reveals what they're really afraid of, that they think that Jesus doesn't care. 
Which, by the way, is what? What is that? That's the fear of abandonment. That he's not going to be enough. That he's not going to come through. That he's not going to provide. That he's not going to be there for them. And I think this is important for us to stop and pause on because this is, this is something that I think we fail to see often. That we spend most of our lives running away from our fears, trying to get away from the things that we're scared of. And yet, what, if we just took a from underneath those things is that we think God doesn't care. Don't you care that I'm drowning? Don't you care that I'm suffering, that I'm going through this hardship? What the disciples said out loud is what we say silently in our hearts. And so I would argue that we think that our problems are that I might lose my job or that I might lack the friendships or the relationships or that there's people attacking me and they're not going to stop. We think those, those are scary storms. Those are real. They aren't fake. But please understand the fear beneath that fear. Do you care? Now, God uh, has answers and Jesus does too. What does Jesus say? Well, his answer comes in verse 40. When it's all done, he says, why are you so afraid? And he connects their fear with, do you still have no faith? Because for most of us, we believe that faith is sort of like a kid who believes in, in Santa Claus with no real evidence. We think faith is wishful belief. That there's no evidence for Santa, there's no scientific proof, but I'm blindly holding on to this belief as opposed to reason. We think belief and reason are connected. But Jesus disagrees. He would actually argue that faith and, and reason are not opposite. Faith and fear are opposite, as, as the text says. See, when Jesus says, do you still have no faith? Here's what he's saying. He's saying this. You've seen the miracles. You've been with me. You've seen the supernatural powers that have been evident in front of you of all the reasons in the world, all the facts in the world, and therefore, faith is living in line with reason and fact, even when there's fear, even when it's hard, even when the going gets tough. Let me put it this way. Um, here's, this is confession time. Major mistakes for Michael in, in 2022. I didn't go to the dentist when I should have. Um, I like to go to the dentist every six months. You're supposed to, but I, I went to the dentist in March, and I didn't go to the dentist for 10 months. And what ended up happening is my tooth started hurting. And here are the facts. Here's the reasons. Ready? Fact number one, I had pain in my tooth. Pain number, uh, fact number two, dentists are supposed to help with that. They are the professionals. They know what to do. And yet I kept putting off going to the dentist. Now, why is that? Well, it's because... I had the fear of the trauma that might happen if I go to the dentist. I had the fear of what might actually happen if I go. And so I, I, I knew the reasons, but I lacked the faith to execute what I knew in my head out, down into my heart. And so faith, then, is just the willingness to remember and trust the reasons and facts in line with what we know to stay even when our senses are filled with fears. That's what, how Jesus is defining it here. And so faith is not believing against reason. It's actually following through and holding on to what you do know, despite our senses being... At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. 
It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. Over Christmas, over New Year's, I went to my in-laws, and um, one of their traditions is they like to set off fireworks for New Year's on New Year's Eve. And so, who got elected to, to be the crazy one to do that? I did. So, I was lighting fireworks, and there was this one really big one that was basically not, it wasn't so much uh, bright as loud and um, kind of like a flashbang in your face. And so I light this thing off, th- this thing, and all of a sudden there's this lights and bang, and I lost all senses. No, I couldn't hear, I couldn't see. And the reason, though, I didn't freak out. The reason why I didn't freak out, even though there was... I trusted, I had faith that just give it a little bit of time, and those things are, everything's going to be right where they should be when I come back to reality. <laughs> Why is that? Because I, I, I was hoping and I was trusting that things would come back. And that's actually what's helpful for us. Take a moment. Think of the storms of your life. Think of the fears that naturally come up. Real faith is despite those That's the nature of faith Jesus is trying to talk to us about. Faith is not pie in the sky, oh, I hope... If I told you, believe in pink elephants right now, you're not going to do it. There's no evidence for it. That's that's not what real faith is. Faith is trusting and hoping in something that you already know, the facts and the reasons that that have been evident in your life. And so my question to you is this. Why then do we give in to the fears? See, I think the answer is are real. The, 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 the storm is real. The boat's sinking, and it's hard for us to see that Jesus isn't afraid of what we're afraid of. It's like, I'm sinking here, and you're asleep at the wheel. But that's where faith really is, is that he's not scared of what I'm scared of. He's not bothered by what I'm bothered of. In the midst of that. Because the truth is, is he's not going to be hurried by our pain. He's not going to be hurried by our suffering. He might even let you stay in the storms of your life longer than you would like. That's a hard truth. But why would he do that? It's because, in part, the storms are the spaces where we find out what our faith really is in. And to, be actually, to know what that is for us is more important than the storms themselves. So go back to Jesus' closest friends. These are his closest friends. And yet, when the rubber hit the road, they had more faith in the power of the storm than the power of Jesus. In fact, they woke Jesus up because they said, listen, the storm's winning and you're losing because their fear drove their feelings. Friends, don't let your fears drive your feelings. Or will faith, which I know it's a fuzzy you know, word in English, will you allow the trust of the reasons and rationalities that you've known in the past, will you allow those you? Because all the storms are real, and yet what what you're putting your trust in. And I want you to ask this morning, what is that for you? What is your comfort? What is your hope? What is your joy really in? When you're drowning, where are you going to go? 
That's the nature of faith. Now, number two, last point, the storms that can sink you, the real storms that can sink you. Commentaries point out, and I didn't know this until I, I was researching this passage, that Mark actually purposely wrote this account to parallel the book of Jonah. And if you don't believe me, here we go. A storm shows up to Jonah in Jonah. A storm shows up here. Jonah was asleep. Jesus was asleep. The sailors woke Jonah up out of fear. The fear. The pagan sailors. Do something. In both accounts, this is, this is even crazier, the Hebrew word that in the book of Jonah that the sailor said to us, I'm, we're perishing. And the Greek word disciples say is we're perishing. Both are struggling. And yet I would actually argue we should probably pity the, the pagan sailors more. We should pity them more because they didn't know the God of the Bible. They didn't, they didn't have the reasons or rationalities of how God has acted in the past. And therefore, how we know he's going to act again in the future. They didn't know who to trust. They couldn't have known that God cared about them. And so I would argue the disciples had far less excuses. Because they had seen Jesus. They had seen the miracles. It's why Jesus rebukes them. But then I started thinking, wait a second. We actually have far less excuses today. And you say, well, that's not really fair. Well, how, how, do, how can you say that? Well, here's why. In both Jonah and in Mark, the storm is taken away miraculously. In both accounts, by the way, when the storm is taken away, there's more fear. So they're afraid, and then in our text, in verse 41, they are now terrified after the storm. But there's a difference, and here's the difference. Jonah calms the storm by throwing himself in. Or do we? See, I think this is what Mark clearly is trying to get at. He knew the people he was talking to would have known the book of Jonah, you know, forward and backwards. And if he's making this parallel, and Jonah threw himself in to the sea to calm the storm, we should be asking, wait a second, someone has to be thrown into the sea. And I think that's the point. Jesus wasn't afraid of the storm because, he, look at him, his total command, he says one word, quiet. And it was still. And no, no, died down. The waves turned into bath water. And if you know anything about the second law of thermodynamics, right, there's energy in those waves. If, if they're completely calm, somehow Jesus has power over all of nature here. Silence, complete power. Now, how can he do this? He can do this because this wasn't the real storm for Jesus. Now, I don't, I'm not in Jesus' head, but I have, to, I have to believe there probably was some level of hurt when they said to Jesus, do you not care? If I was Jesus, I'd have been like, of course I care. See, Jesus didn't drown here, but he would drown. But not in the sea of water, but in the sea of sin and death for us. See, you think, I think, that the storms of our life that are going to sink us through those because they can't really kill you, not ultimately. The only real storm out there is not the storm of suffering. The only real storm is the storm of sin and death. The storms in your life 
that often are created by others that have come into your life. But I would argue that we've created storms in other people's lives, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. But that's how sin works. It's those storms that have distanced us from him and from others. And it's killing us. And so here's the truth. A monsoon and a hurricane of suffering in your life pales in comparison to one drop of the storm of sin. And I think the great uh, lie of our culture is the bigger issue in the world in us is that we're more concerned with suffering than sin. In fact, our culture so desires justice for suffering above all else, we're so desperate for it, the dirty little secret is that no one wants to actually fess up that everybody is at fault for something. And hear me out. I'm not saying we, don't, we shouldn't care about justice. Of course we should. I'm arguing that before you can do justice well, you problem that you care about, or that problem, or that problem, but we've caused problems. And therefore, we think we only need to be saved from the storms of, of, of suffering, but we really need to be saved from the storm of valid justice poured out. We want justice. It's coming. But it's poured out on all those who have done injustice, and that means for valid reasons on us. And so go back to what we're most afraid of. Why are we most afraid of abandonment and loneliness and forgottenness? The answer is because we know how the world works. We know if, we've, if somebody abandons people, they deserve to be abandoned. If we have created distinctions and separations from each other by class, race, creed, we deserve separation too. That's why there's such a fear in us, and yet we don't get it. Jesus gets it. That's what this text is saying, is Jesus is the true Jonah, the one who ends himself before. And so we don't end. He ends himself so that we don't meet our end. We don't get the separation from God. He gets the separation from God on the cross because he's thrown into the ultimate and true storm of life so that we can have clear skies with God now. And when you know that, if you really knew that, if you experience There'll be more storms. There'll be more times in your heart that you will say again, do you not care? But this time you might have an answer. Maybe for the first time, or maybe for the first time in a long time, here's the answer. Of course he cares. He was thrown into the true and real storm. And if you have this kind of faith, again, faith, translation, is just trust. Everybody's trusting something. Who is more trustworthy than him who saved you from the real storm of death? Here's how I want to end today. I want to end with a, pra a practical application. Some of you are wondering, well, how do I know if I have enough of this trust? How do I have any of this? The answer for us, for the storms and doubts and fears of our life, look at our text. The answer was that they were terrified in verse 41. Now, the Greek word here is they feared a great fear. So there's a, a multiplication. They were afraid of the storm. Now they're even more terrified. And you're going, wait a second. Are you saying the answer to fear is more fear? Yeah. Five and a half years ago, I was asked to start this church. I need to be honest with you. I wasn't afraid. I wasn't afraid because even though I'd heard a lot of the stories about starting churches, it's hard to really be afraid of what you don't know. Today, five and a half years later, I'm more afraid than ever. of it is 
self-recognition. Part of it is just the age, getting older, realizing how much more messier life really is. See, I think you can know about your flaws. It's very different when ministry is like a mirror. It shows you your flaws. And it's hard. It's hard to look at it over and over and over again. And there's, there's, there's the flaws that you have in your own life, but then there's the flaws of the world. My, my, my dad's illness, the hurts of the world. My daughter and I, we walk by uh, up and down in New York City. I said earlier I was afraid of being found out to be an imposter. And I told you the real fear beneath that is the fear of abandonment and loneliness and separation. And so you're trying to always keep it together and look good and, and hold it there, but the harder it gets... And the harder life gets, the harder it gets to do that. And yet, it's, and yet, here's the crazy thing. It's in that space where I'm forced to have to rely on him more. Where I thought I relied on him in the past, but actually I was still relying on myself. But now I have to trust him more because my needs are more. And that's the secret, friends. That the core of Christianity is this. God loves you, but he doesn't necessarily take you away from the storms of your life. And sometimes he actually brings more of them in. And why does he do that? Because it's in those spaces that you can actually get closer to him. And I would argue an easier life without him is a lot worse than a hard life with him. That's what I've learned in five and a half years. That I still have the same storms, the same fears, but with Jesus, now that I know that he's in the storms with me, I don't know how he works often, friends. I don't know why or when. The truth that he does care about me, and he's in those storms with me, changes everything. So this is, the st- this is the answer. The answer is not this. Get out. The answer is not to get out of your storms. The answer is to know that he's in them with you. And having them in there with you, the word terror in wonder, the more focus on him, the less worry I have about everything else. And again, let me try to be really, really clear. I'm not saying this makes your problems go away. In fact, in some ways, they're just as real as before. But if he isn't hurried by them, if he's not afraid of them, I don't have to be either. I can sit on the cushion with Jesus within the wonder and awe of his love found in his care. See, fear is that emotional reaction to something that we can't control, to the threat. But guess what? With Jesus... I can't control him either. It's someone, but at least I know that he loves me and cares for me. And that all in one is all that you need. So friends, don't, please don't say, don't you care? Of course he cares. He went through the real death, the real storm for you, and all in wonder is the product. If Jesus can sleep, sleep through the storms of your life, you can sleep too. Because he know, we know that he hasn't abandoned us. And if he was in the hour of the disciples' need, he's going to be in, in the hour of your need too. And so to end, will you sit with him? And we know that he calmed this particular storm, and we know he'll calm the ultimate storm. He already calmed the ultimate storm, which means one day all the other storms, the pain, the hurt, the stress, the illness, they will be gone too. And so let's be curious. Let's ask him questions. Particular storms. And as we realize that he's dealt with the one real one, 
It's not going to stop the storms, but it'll help us repackage them. It'll help us bracket them. It'll help us handle them. Sit with him. Let's come to him. Let's abide with him now and always. I'm going to end with reading a couple lines from the famous hymn about this. Abide with me, fast falls the evening tide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide in me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life and death, O oh Lord, abide with me. Let's abide with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I confess it's hard sometimes when we feel like you're asleep. No, not even feel we know you're asleep. <laughs> but it's because you're untroubled by what troubles us. I pray that we would have the faith, the trust, to rely on what we know, which is that you have not abandoned us, that you are with us, and you always will be. The proof is that in history, not a pie in the sky, but in history, you have gone to the cross and taken the storms that we've created in the lives of others, and you paid for them. And that now allows us to handle the storms that will come again. It allows us to actually go out and care about justice and want to do justice and not just blame and point the finger. We can start with ourselves. We can start with our, our own confessions, which then will help us and will give us the humility to love and serve and try to understand all that, that is out there. Father, we live in a world that is increasingly not wanting to understand others. pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.